My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is Technically Speaking. This show is recorded live in San Francisco and produced in collaboration with Dave Clark at Studio Pod Media. Our show coordinator is Deanna Marinci, with additional editing and music presented by Notalab. This episode of Technically Speaking is sponsored by Automatic, the people behind WordPress.com, Jetpack, WooCommerce, Tumblr, and more. Automatic's 1,400 people hail from 79 countries and speak 99 languages. Their open source software products democratize publishing and commerce so that anyone with a story can tell it and anyone with a product can sell it, regardless of income, gender, politics, language, or country. More than 1 billion people use Automatic products every month. Automatic also contributes directly to WordPress, the open source project that powers over 40% of websites on the internet. If you're ambitious, energetic, and driven by a passion to help people, you can make a visible, profound, and lasting difference working at Automatic. Visit automatic.com to check out the latest job listings today. That's A-U-T-O-M-A-T-T-I-C.com. Welcome to day four of the Technically Speaking podcast during San Francisco Design Week. And for the first time, I have someone in studio. Welcome, Jacob. Hello. And then I have Julia, who is tuning in remotely. Thank you for joining. Of course. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. So for the folks that are tuning in, this is day four of the live broadcast. So We are already four days in, which is crazy. And today we've had 10 guests on the show overall, which is pretty insane. And every show has kind of had a different format and a different surprise. And so we've got someone here, someone remotely. It's going to be a great time. And we're going to be talking about a couple of different subjects and be a little bit different, but we're really going to touch on sort of Julia's experience as a student getting into design. And then we'll also learn more about what Jacob does at LinkedIn around equity. And we'll have a brief discussion on the both of them about the power of transformation. And so with that being said, let's get started with the show. Welcome and maybe kind of tell folks a brief kind of introduction about yourself. We can start out with Julia. Sounds good. Well, I'm glad to be here. I know that we've had an episode together already, so very happy to be here. My name is Julia Fernandez. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am a design, fashion, and lifestyle content creator up on YouTube with my series Design Diaries, and I love being able to talk about or have vulnerable conversations about design and what it's like to be a student in these times and transition into an industry professional. Apart from that, I am a student still at the the Academy of Art University in San Francisco, and I'm currently a product designer at Facebook Reality Labs for an Oculus team, so that's really exciting, and I'm actually, yeah, I'm home, I'm working from home, and I'm super excited to just talk to you both, so really happy to be here. Yeah, Jacob. Thank you for having me, Harrison. It's so good to be here. Julia, it's so great to meet. Uh, So I'm Jacob, Jacob Hernandez. I use they, them, and theirs pronouns. I am a senior product designer at LinkedIn, where I focus on equity and our equity initiatives. 
based here in San Francisco. I'm originally from San Antonio, Texas. So proud Tejano, Mexican-American. Made my way to New York City for school. I went to school at Parsons. Got vastly interested in design and intersection with justice and, and social innovation. And have since then really have uh, dedicated my design practice to thinking about ways in which design can unlock justice and equitable outcomes. So it's such a pleasure and a an amazing opportunity to do that at LinkedIn and thinking about economic opportunity. So excited to talk about that and have that conversation. Yeah, that's amazing. And Julia, I know in some of the work that you've kind of talked about, you know, activism has also kind of been centered to, to the work that you're doing. And it's great to kind of see that, you know, folks that are just getting in the industry are starting to think about these things. So before we start getting into all the details and a little bit more about yourselves, let's maybe kind of start out with a few icebreakers. So, you know, we've kind of been in this hybrid or excuse me, this remote sort of situation. Now that things are starting to kind of move about, what do you prefer? Do you prefer work from home in the office? Like, what, where are you guys at with that? Ooh, I can go first. So fun fact, I've never worked on site like for any of my design opportunities. So I know nothing but work from home. So I'm definitely someone that's just like, all right vaccinated people, let's go. Like, um, So I definitely want to work on site soon to see people and just collaborate with people in the same room. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for a hybrid model. I like both. I'd probably lean towards on site in the office, especially in the design process where just feeling people's energy in the room and level setting in that way and being more embodied with one another it's just so powerful. And so I do like the flexibility of working at home and having a lot of unstructured time and a lot of time not to be commuting. But I'm starting to personally be in this place where being in person and having those embodied experiences together just sounds really nourishing. So yeah, excited to be back in the yeah. office. Yeah. And I, I too, I mean, at least having some hybrid approach and being able to interact with folks allows you also to maybe kind of have some ideation and an ad hoc basis, something that we didn't really have before. Yeah. I think one of the things that'll be interesting for me personally, the way that we've been working for, you know, the past 15, 16 months, how that's actually going to translate into now being in person, because it feels that I've, you know, even though meetings have sort of kind of condensed to sort of shorter periods of time, it's still fairly concentrated. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how that works with folks that may be remote that have kind of had this working style for a while. So now that we're getting back in, in person, like will the calendars sort of reduce like in terms of meetings? We'll see, we'll see. And so you both mentioned you are centrally kind of located around San Francisco. June 11th, the state is reopening. So what is the first thing you, you're looking at sort of getting back to now that things are opening up? I miss my friends. <laughs> I would say like probably I also miss going to the movie theater. Um, just like having that community around like and just being able to have people present around you, whether it's like, you know, I know some people can already go out in the park and everything, but just like being able to be around people, I think, is just something that I'm just looking forward to and being comfortable with it because of, you know, restrictions. Yeah. Are you like a solo movie goer or do you like going with the group? I love going with a group of friends, if not like a, a friend that I know is just like as excited to go to the movies with me. And I remember I used to have one of those like movie passes. Oh, yeah. 
they went bankrupt, but now I have an AMC Stubbs pass, but like I had a movie pass and we would just go all the time. And it was just like the best college movie experience, like just going in the movies whenever I had free time. So I love that. So I'm definitely looking forward to that again. Yeah. So the way that I relate to this is for one, I'm very excited to see people in person, personally very excited to get back to concerts and yeah. to experience oh, music yeah. Oh, yeah. in person <laughs> and just hear I forgot that. This, yes. Hear like the exteriors like hitting you and but there's a big part of my personality that is an introvert. I leaned a lot into my side that is nourished by solitude, that's mm-hmm. nourished by just learning how to be with myself. And that opened up a lot of new kinds of questions around who I am and how I spend time with myself and my relationship with to myself. And so it's interesting. I think there's going to be, as things start to open back up and the collective default is back to let's be in person, I am going to miss a little bit of this time where collectively we've cultivated this being with ourselves. So I hope that we can take some of that of what we learned into this new world, into this new kind of experience of being in person with another and then also like being with ourselves and slowing down a little bit. Yeah. So, so Jacob, you've, you've perfectly segue into sort of like the last icebreaker that I had. So what do you both do to really kind of maintain that balance and sort of take your mind off of things? Clearly, Jacob, you've done a lot of thought on this already. Yeah. Yeah. And my practice is meditation and mindfulness practices. And so it's, it's funny because it is this process of unthinking, of being in this place where I'm in my thinking brain all the time and thinking of scenarios and what's going to happen next and just kind of being and placing other kinds of attention to how my body feels, like what's really going on. Even some deeper aspects of my spirituality and things that are beyond just like the physical. And so for me, mindfulness and meditation have been a place where I come to myself and I just have a new perspective on uh, how I relate to myself in the world. So yeah. Uh, And so I supplement that with, with yoga, with other kind of somatic work. We'll probably get more into this. Like I'm so vastly passionate and interested and curious about the potential of the body and our healing capabilities, especially when we talk about things like systemic racism and white body supremacy, like embodiment and healing are sources of power and strength that each of us as people can harness. And so I've been placing a lot of attention on that personal journey myself. And wow, it's been, it's been quite a journey. Yeah. And I'd I'd love to, when we get to that part of the show, I'd, I'd love to hear how that sort of works its way into your your process and the way that you approach your work. How about you, Julia? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's funny because whenever you were saying like all the things about grounding and meditation, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Because I think something that I really leaned on during this time was a morning ritual, like a routine of some sort. And I feel like that is something that I do every day to just really ground me and make sure like, you know, I have this time alone separate from everything else. And I recently read this book called The Miracle Morning. And it's all about how every morning you have these lifesavers. So savers stands for like 
silence, affirmations, visualizations, exercise, reading, and scribing or like journaling. So I feel like all of those things have just been my non-negotiables. And I definitely think that those are things I'm going to be taking away. You know, once we eventually transition, those are things that I'm just like, okay, I got this during this time. I feel like I've never been so grounded in myself and in my the power, like you said, of just tuning in with yourself. So that's something that I definitely am really happy that, you know, because of COVID and, you know, staying at home, like I came to my senses and I was like, this is really important to me. I also propagate plants. So like, (laughs) like apart from that, I also like propagating plants. I love that. And, you know, it's very thematic of the San Francisco Design Week kind of slogan, which is power. So very on brand. And, and for folks that were kind of tuning in earlier, and, and even for you all both, Monday, we actually touched on that quite a bit with, with Alyssa and Mercy from Take Care, which they're holding a 30-day wellness sort of summit, but it's really kind of centered around the storytelling piece. So for listeners, be sure to check that out. And once these episodes release, you'll have an opportunity to hear that again if you weren't able to be there in attendance. So Julia, I want to kind of tap into a little bit of your experience. So, you know, you are still a student that is kind of moving into the field of design and you've had really kind of a very unique experience because, you know, you've been doing this during a pandemic. And so maybe kind of tell us what that experience has kind of been like. And on top of that too, I know you are definitely kind of approaching this in a more sort of public form in a sense, because You've had some projects that you've been working on in terms of design diaries, as well as students of UXD. So would love to maybe kind of dive into some of the motivations around that and and what's come from it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So like I said, I'm a student at Academy of Art University. However, I'm actually majoring in graphic design. So my my love for design began there. And I had this class on interaction design. And it was one of those classes that was like, this is my moment. Like, this is something that I know I want to do. I loved it so much. However, my school doesn't have the course or a curriculum specifically dedicated to product design or UX design. And so that was when I was like, okay, let's tap into these resources. Let's look at, I know the AIGA and San Francisco, even like Design Week, just like having all these resources. LinkedIn was a huge resource for me of just like learning from other people. And essentially I was going through this self-taught path of to product and UX design. And so unfortunately, when I once I was like, okay, I'm ready to meet people, ready to like take this into the the real world, COVID happened. And I feel like it's one of those things where I look back now and it's like a blessing in disguise because with having LinkedIn and being so active on LinkedIn, something that I was not doing when I was in school in person. I met one of my closest friends now. Her name's Vicky Vo. And like you said, Harrison, we're co-founders of Students of UXD. And I think one of the things that really was the highlight of, you know, this time of working from home is just finding community in the design world, finding mentors like you, finding other people that are on the same boat that are transitioning into UX design, because it is a really intimidating world. And it's just scary to feel extra alone when you're like in this journey to, you know, learning, finding a job, etc. And so that is actually one of the reasons why I began Design Diaries. So at first I was like, it would be cool to have a YouTube channel to just, you know, I- I've always loved documenting stuff, but I tapped into kind of this like niche audience, I guess you could say, and just really having vulnerable conversations, I think is just really important to me. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that comes to mind is your story with Vicky, as well as sort of the mentorship thing. And I think we've all actually been on like ADP list kind of mentoring for a little bit of time. Do you think sort of like where you're at right now, do you think that would have been the same if COVID didn't hit? Like, it seems like a lot of these things that emerged because of sort of the constraints we were all sort of dealt with. Yeah, I definitely don't think that things would have happened the way they did without COVID. Like, it's one of those things where I look back now and I really understand what people mean when they say everything happens for a reason, just because it's almost like I can see the butterfly effect, like in the events in my life. And not to say that, you know, I can't be where I am right now without COVID, but I do think that the connections and the the quality of connections that I've gained with people during this time is has just like opened community, like the word community um, and the power of community in such like a different way, an unprecedented way. Yeah. So with that being said, one of the things that you started out with Vicky, as you mentioned, is students of UXD, which has a ton of content, really kind of thematic of our times. And, you know, I'm super curious why specifically that subject matter and maybe kind of give folks an idea of the types of topics that you're talking about. And I'd love to maybe even sort of, you know, for you to kind of take us through, like, what have your learnings been from that? And how you've been able to kind of apply that to, to the work that you do. For sure. Yeah. So Vicky and I started Students of UXD initially just because we wanted to talk to other people that were also going into UX design. And we knew that it was a very new field. And the reason why we named it Students of UXD is that something that I think is so amazing and beautiful about UX design is because it's so new, there are people of all ages that are tuning in and tapping into this new industry. And so initially it was a community, but then Vicky and I were like, hey, with the power of LinkedIn and connection, let's ask some people to have some events. And the thing that Vicky and I wanted to do is like, okay, what's our USP? What are we going to make different about students of UXD? And so we were thinking, okay, there are boot camps, there are some school courses, but like, what are things that aren't talked about in design curriculums that we think are important. And during this time, specifically, it was March. And that's when George Floyd was murdered. Everything was starting to, at least activism, was becoming a more normalized thing, I hate to say, but like something that was in conversations, in in daily conversations. And we thought it would be irresponsible for us to not tap into these conversations. And so that's why, you know, we had our event with you. We talk about things like anti-racism. What does anti-racism look like in UX? What does it mean to actually have inclusive UX design? And we also talk about, you know, just different topics that we feel like are not tapped into enough just because the UX design field is just so new. And, you know, like there's a lot to catch up on, but knowing that we can tap into people super early or on in their careers and be like, hey, be mindful of this because being a strong designer means to not ignore this. So that is like a huge motivator for us as co-founders of Students of UXD. Yeah. Thank you for that. Jacob, now I'm going to bring it to you. So you're a senior product designer at LinkedIn on the equity team. And this is great because we've got somebody that's, you know, entering the field and we've got someone that's been in the game for a little bit. Maybe kind of walk folks through sort of your path to get where you are. Like, do you think that the curriculum has really kind of set designers up for success? And on top of that too, sort of 
how did you get to where you were in terms of just like your focus? And where are you seeing some of the bigger gaps there? Yeah, similar to Julia, I studied graphic design, visual communication, the discipline of solving communication challenges visually. And somewhere in my studies, I started to identify, as I was explaining kind of at the beginning, that as someone who knows themselves as a very community-driven person, someone who just is a companion and wants to find ways to help communities that are often marginalized, like how does design play a role in that? And so I started to find that there were parts of the design discipline that were all about the systems thinking aspects, right? Like if everything in the world from our mental models all the way to the physical world around us is designed in some way and those spaces aren't serving us anymore, or they stop certain groups from access to opportunity or create barriers. What are ways in which design can actually play a role in redesigning that? But not only certain people redesigning, but communities redesigning the worlds that they live in, that they experience, because communities are the experts in that. So I started to see myself as, as a designer, as a facilitator and a mediator for this. And so I, right out of college, and this was very much kind of what my thesis was based on. Uh, my thesis, I worked with LGBTQ youth experiencing homelessness and created a series of design tools that helped affirm and empower these young people. And so out of college, I started working for a startup that was thinking of all of these things, try to build tech around how do we help practitioners, people in government, in nonprofit, in design, all different kinds of stakeholders who are committed to thinking about social change. How do we build tools and technology that help practitioners and communities look at the systems in new ways, in qualitative and quantitative ways? And that's where I started to... So I was brought in as a design strategist, as a visual communicator, and started to learn more about the tech side of, of this world and started to get really interested in, okay, what is product development? What, is this, what does it mean to build product that is impactful, that is addressing a real need, but is still centered around this vision of changing the status quo? So I found myself saying, hey, I want to pivot into... UX product design. I, I have this deep passion in this skill set around design and the design process. How can I transfer that into this tech space? And so it was actually a lot of self-teaching for yeah. me. Yeah, it was a lot of, you know, starting to find mentors. It was starting to read about this. It was also just starting to try to practice this in the role I had at my startup. And then started to then pivot into more formal product design roles. I was still in New York at this time. And there was a moment where I started to realize that, hey, I, because I started to get into product design, worked for a B2B enterprise company working in, in data, wasn't so much as connected to my passion of community building. And so there was this moment where I asked myself, how do I merge these two things together? And also I had this itching to move to the West Coast. And so started to look for opportunities, found my way at LinkedIn and wasn't starting on diversity and equity work, but through the support of our transformation culture of my manager, Anaruda, starting to identify that this is something that I can really bring my full self to. And there was 
last summer when, you know, racial inequity was just being reckoned with in new ways and companies really reckoning with what is our stance and how does this relate to our mission and vision of creating more equitable worlds? LinkedIn doing that introspection and saying, hey, we need to, we need to look at ourselves and we need to understand where bias could be happening on our platform. How, what are the barriers that are stopping equal access to opportunity? So LinkedIn formed an equity team. They formed a team that was going to commit to thinking about these questions. And I found myself on that team and, and thinking about these questions, both with the company, but also with our design org and our researchers. So it's it's been almost a year and it's been a journey. <laughs> The future of work is here at Automatic. The people behind WordPress.com, Jetpack, WooCommerce, Tumblr, and more. Join a team of diverse global perspectives. Create the work environment and schedule that empowers you to perform at your very best. At Automatic, what matters is the work you produce, not how many hours you put in. Work from anywhere you choose. There are automatications working right now in 79 countries around the globe. The intellectual and cultural diversity that results is critical to the company's success. Automatic believes in constant learning and offers mentorship and personal coaching to support your growth. As a small company with a huge footprint, Automatic offers you the chance to have an impact and make a difference. If you're ambitious, energetic, and driven by a passion to help people, you can make a visible, profound, and lasting difference working at Automatic. Visit automatic.com to check the latest job listings. That's A-U-T-O-M-A-T-T-I-C.com. So one of the things that I'm really kind of picking up on both of you, and I love both of your thoughts on this, is really around the the power of community, but let's talk about the power of community as it comes to access, right? So would love to maybe kind of understand, Julia, how that has played a role in terms of bringing in new designers, right? And new designers is not just straight out of college. Like we're getting a lot of folks that are pivoting later in their careers. This is something I feel like we've probably started seeing more often recently. Maybe kind of talk us through the role of that and maybe some of the things that you're hearing from people as well. And, and Jacob, as you're saying, like, you're kind of navigating this on your own. Is equity something that needs to only be held by one team? Like, what does it look like moving forward in terms of all of us really kind of considering these things? Yeah, I think that definitely when it comes to accessibility of information with UX, I think COVID has forced those who are really proactive and really wanting to get into it to be resourceful and have these resources, you know, like find these resources rather to help them in their journey. And I think that it's so beautiful to have that accompanied with a community that is so welcoming. I think that at first I thought product design is just like, oh, it's like tech, it's all tech. And I'm like, I, I can't be vulnerable with people. I can't talk to people about different things that, you know, that can make people uncomfortable. But Something that I found in finding this community is just knowing that there are people that want to talk about hard things and want to understand how we can solve these problems through design. And it's funny because, you know, design, there's like power in community, but there's also power in being able to almost protest through design, if that makes sense. Like I feel powerful as a designer, as someone who identifies as Gen Z, 
to know that in the work that I'm doing, it's not just pixel pushing. It's not just like, you know, trying to create an app experience. It's being mindful of the power that I have as an individual to make decisions that are equitable, are thinking about these problems and these like questions that, you know, I don't think were brought up until or at least brought up in this scope now, you know, as much. So I think that it's just, it's cool to have a normalized way of talking about things that we should have been talking about a long time ago. So yeah, definitely this community is that community. (laughs) And to address what we were talking about earlier, I don't think that the standards of design, the way that it's taught today, especially in product and UX, do center equity and center inclusion. And, And it's because that design thinking by default, there are a lot of aspects of white supremacy and design thinking. We can even look at who who are the people in which pioneer design and design thinking. And it's not to say that we need to shred up design thinking these processes and, and say this doesn't work for us. I think there is a lot that is a framework that we can use in design. But what are some other ways in which we can sense make problem spaces? And how can we do that with community? How can we do that together? Mm -hmm. And also, how do we bring our full selves to that? How do we bring our unique identities to that? I think for me personally, as my experience as a queer person, that's often what I strive to embody, which is as a queer person, that is saying that, hey, there are alternative, there are these other variances of relating to people and relationships that bring sort of true parts, intrinsic parts of my nature. Mm-hmm. And then finding community, when you find community that there's that standard of bringing that uniqueness, of bringing this collective sense of, I bring something that no one else can bring right. because we're all individuals and all unique. And also I'm an identical twin. So I grew up with someone who looked exactly like me and I was always compared to, uh, but in that kind of found my uniqueness. And for me, that is liberatory design. Mm -hmm. That's liberatory spaces. And I think we can do that through design or in design community where we really see each other for what we bring. And also what I was hearing Julio was there is, I am still intimidated sometimes by the tech world. There's a lot of technicality. There's a lot of very processed technical aspects to it. And how can we as designers come in and ask like really deep, meaningful questions um, and with community? Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. And it's a really interesting theme around just kind of intersectionality and the role that that plays. I have David Dylan Thomas, who's the author of Design for Cognitive Bias. We have an episode that's coming out a little bit later. But one of the things that we discuss is sort of, he was in a lot of rooms and discussions sort of centered around cognitive bias, which can be very like scientific, very academia driven. However, he had this lens in design that no one else had. And so for him, while he was very, very intimidated, you know, once he actually put his work out there, people are like, oh, I never really thought about it like this, right? Uh, and, and to your point around just the power of design, I think understanding and knowing that things have been created by other humans, we know that humans aren't perfect. And so there is a ton of opportunity for us to really kind of change the way things don't have to be the way that they are, right? We can question those things. I think your example, Jacob, in terms of just like your lens and how your identity plays a big role in your perspective is great because you can imagine how many 
things that were not even considered in the first place, but the potential it allows for more access. So Jacob, let's level set here. We've been talking about equity. What is equity? And is the definition of equity, does that change in the work that we do in design and the products that you know are developed? Equity as a concept is a verb. It's a way of relating to yourself and to the world and to systems. So it's a lifelong journey. How it relates to the work then that companies do and that we as people who want to change the systems that don't work for us anymore and saying, hey, there are certain groups of people who have this kind of access and these groups of people who have these kinds of barriers. What are the roots and the the structural barriers that are causing those barriers to be formed. And so equity is also about diving really, really deep into what is going on below. And these things can be very invisible and they can be about our mental models around how we relate to each other, ourselves in the world. And so that's kind of the high level. I love talking about the high level, how that kind of relates to then LinkedIn in the context of economic opportunity. And as LinkedIn, a mission and vision that's around creating economic opportunity for all members of the global workforce, it's that all piece, right? So we have to say, hey, there are barriers that stop certain groups based on aspects of their social identity, their demographics, determines the outcomes that they may have to that access to opportunity. For Black job seekers, for Latinx job seekers, for women, the list goes on. What are the barriers there, right? And so, for instance, when we hear about Black job seekers who, on their resumes, we call it whitewashing their names to sound less ethnic, and then they start to receive more responses from employers, that is saying that there is a systemic barrier there that's impacting that person on an individual level, but is also impacting the community group. And so what can we do to start to shift those mental models? So for us, it's looking at the kinds of bias that recruiters might have or that companies might have us saying, hey, like companies are over-indexing on pedigree, are saying, hey, I want to find qualified candidates that come from this school, that come from, essentially come from places that are like me. (laughs) And so, and then we talk about culture fit, like that's all a way to say that I'm trying to find people that are like me and that it's not very inclusive in that way. And so uh, one example of some a way that in which we've approached that is, can we help recruiters start to think about their unconscious bias and give them an ability to hide names and hide profile images just as a way to start seeing it? Does that start to change behavior? So yeah, it, <laughs> there are so many aspects to it, but I guess to summarize, equity is about deep root cause analysis and also centering those who are often marginalized from the default culture, from what we default to the status quo, which in the States, in the United States, that is you know white, cis, straight, Christian, typically affluent, male, masculine, and gives us these tools to think about there are other ways, there are other ways to to be. 
So yeah. it's a wide spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to ask a little bit of a, a personal question for both of you. And Jacob, we can start with you as a queer Latinx person. Like, how have some of these sort of structures, how have those played a role in, in your life? And maybe kind of reflecting on that a little bit, like what advice do you have to someone that's not, that doesn't have like that representation in terms of just like trying to navigate and really kind of make their mark in the world? Well, growing up, I didn't have a lot of say in the way in which my environment was going to nurture the true authentic aspects of Jacob and how I was getting to know them. Mm. And as I started to identify parts of my sexuality, I was on one part so excited. There was this like intuition telling me like, hey, this is like this really authentic true side of me. And then there was other aspects of culture around me that was labeling that thing as, or identifying that thing as not normal, right? As not normal, but also something that would stop me from my own access to being successful, but also just like being free in the world. And so also with my personal family story, it's one of assimilation too. My grandfather was born and raised in San Antonio, uh, first language Spanish, and in school was told by his teachers, like, you're in America, you're in the States. You don't speak Spanish or you speak English. And so that's baked into, you know, his nervous system, his sort of mentality, the way in which he raises his family. And coming to me, it's this, it's this like, oh no, I have to present as the status quo. Like I have to present as uh, straight, as masculine, as white, because how else am I going to succeed? That created within me barriers and tension and patterns that were harmful to me. And so it took a process of unlearning and healing and community and deep, deep introspection as well as deep intuition to say, these things don't work for me. Let me find ways to liberate myself from these structures. And then be able to say, once I'm able to do that for myself, how can I do that for others? How can I go inward in order to go outward? And that's such a deep part of why I do the work that I do. Why, what drives me was my that fire element in me. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Julia? Oh, yeah. Definitely hear you as someone that comes from a Filipino Catholic conservative background. Um, it is really interesting to me because I departed from, you know, the Philippines. I grew up like in different places, went to international schools. And so I was really, you know, exposed to diversity, exposed to, you know, different ways of thinking, which I'm really grateful for. However, once I did move to the United States, it was interesting because I almost had a culture shock about how people were still not accepting of other people. And, and like, it was almost just like a, hello, this is the real world type of thing. And it was really interesting for me growing up, just understanding that, you know, this is the way my parents think and this is the way I think and that's okay. And I'm just going to tap into what I think because that's what's important. And, you know, this can range from like values, religious values, um, like what it means to be a strong, independent woman in the industry, to be a woman and, and, and want to be a leader, want to be a design leader. It's just something that I've just been 
growing up, just questioning, like, can I actually do this? Like, can I survive as an immigrant in this country? And, you know, someone who just feels like something that I've like found is like with everything that's been going on, that I do have the power to like, you know, say and do things that fulfill me. I think that's something that's also really interesting is like when I talk to my cousins in the Philippines and like what you were saying, Jacob, it's like, how can I help navigate these conversations with my cousins that, you know, don't have access to healthcare, don't have parents that can talk to them about, you know, what it means to think about sexualities, their sexualities, what it means to not get married and like not have to be a housewife, you know, that kind of thing. So it's just like using that power, understanding, you know, the different worlds and how my world and our world is the most important thing to us in our personal development and just seeing how it fits in this ever-changing world around us. So it's definitely been a journey, but I know that we're all still like learning and growing together. So. Yeah. Yeah. And first off, I appreciate you both being extremely vulnerable with me on those questions. I think why these types of stories matters because there's always folks that are looking and searching and it's really important to have these conversations to really kind of advance sort of inclusion and what that might look like, right? And I think to maybe both of your stories and Jacob, I kind of want to segue a little bit into the event on Friday that LinkedIn is having around the power of transformation. You know, let's also kind of bring that both to ourselves, I guess, like, what is your sort of perspective on transformation and what has that meant? And are there sort of like these aha moments or these milestones where you get, or is it something that you purposefully set out to do? Transformation is for one, our natural state of rhythm and being, right? I see transformation as, as healing. And when transformation can be facilitated in a work context. I think that is even more, even more beautiful and, and, and more liberatory because those spaces have been built around seeing workers as purely outputting production, right? And so when we start to talk about liberation and transformation in the workplace, I think we are moving more towards those spaces in all parts of our lives, not just our personal lives, our spiritual lives, but in all aspects of our lives, right? Because there have been professionals that continue to be discriminated against because of aspects of their social identity. So transformation in my work and in my relationship to others is so foundational to how I can continue to be the kind of designer that I know that I am and that I can bring into the world. And it's about going on that journey with myself and being humble, staying very humble and unlearning the patterns in which I code individuals or I like to stay with my assumptions or like to say, but I just want to design this thing in this way because it makes sense to me. But I haven't really considered maybe these other perspectives just yet. And it helps me stay humble in in saying, hey, like, okay, there's something there. Let me question that. And let me be curious, open, constructive dialogue with my colleagues with the people in which we're designing with and through, through my managers, through leadership. And to say that my transformation and my liberation means 
your transformation and your liberation. It's our collective yes. transformation. And so I'm really excited to talk about that with Joanne Wu. She is a senior director and Hannah Wolf, who is a uh, principal researcher on equity. And because we play all these different kind of roles at different levels, how that kind of manifests through through our different our different levels, uh, but how we share power and agency to transform as individuals, but also as a design team and then as a company. So yeah, it, there are conversations that we don't often get to have in our day to day. So it's always so wonderful to have them and excited to have that on Friday. Yeah. Yeah, one one thing that really kind of comes to mind, we were actually talking about this yesterday. We, I had a uh, about five women that were part of the UX research corner. And when it comes to like our assumptions, one of the things that stood out was like right the wrongs of our rights, right? Getting rid of those assumptions, right? And I think another piece that I've I've been kind of very intrigued by is this really kind of the concept around, you know, culture fit versus culture ad and bringing your authentic self. And and one of the things that is interesting about the concept of, of, you know, authenticity is that it's actually, you know, it's independent of you. It's actually about the environment. And if you're not in an environment that is inclusive, that does allow for you to really bring your identity to it in terms of adding, we'll actually never get there. So there's a lot of, a lot of work that needs to be done specifically in these systems to not only from a hiring perspective, but be able to support, right. And, maintain and sustain over time and really enable and empower. So I, I love, I really love kind of like that, that sort of perspective when it comes to the transformation. Julia, have you seen uh, any trans transformation yourself kind of just kind of from your discovery process in terms of now sort of even as you're looking into the field, is it still sort of, I just want to get my foot in the door or is it more purposeful in terms of sort of understanding personally where you fit in, in the terms of things? Yeah, that's a really great question. It's funny because I feel like as someone that is relatively new to this industry that I'm seeing the industry itself transform and grow. And it's so exciting to me and and empowering to me to see that transformation, to see these new norms, to see that people and designers are starting to care about things that do matter. And, you know, like these conversations that we don't have every single day, they're starting to be had. And just seeing that transformation makes me feel like, okay, I'm going to show up and I'm going to almost like it motivated me to learn more about things that aren't covered in school. Like it made me learn what it means to, you know, in one of my school projects, I had to create a survey. So it's like, what does it mean to have an inclusive survey? So it's almost like because of the transformation that's happening around me, it causes me to transform and me to want to like show up in the best way possible as I can with, you know, whatever I can bring to the table. And so it's partially, you know, I guess subconscious because I'm just feeling it and I just want to, you know, meet people where they're at. But also now knowing that designers like the reason why these things are happening and things are things are getting done is partially a lot because of design i feel this power consciously and now i'm just like how i'm going to how am i going to use this responsibly how am i going to you know have these conversations knowing that i'm also a flawed human being and like just having that self awareness is definitely the way i've seen myself transform as a designer during this time yeah. So, so we're towards the end of the show. I'm going to ask one more question for Jacob. 
Jacob, thematically, what are the big areas of transformation that you've sort of seen, you know, in your career at LinkedIn? Have you sort of started to see the company kind of move in, in a different direction? Yes, I think so. And I think it starts with where I've seen the transformation start to happen is the way in which we relate to our work and how we work together and starting to identify as we're going on this transformation, the things that just don't work for us anymore, like parts of the design process that that actually don't serve either, like ultimately don't serve our members and that need to be reckoned with and re-examined and sort of redesigned. And so that takes really in-depth conversations where we can have meaningful dialogue across differences, where we can listen to one another and to add to that and to reckon with the standards of design that we want to change. And so I see that happening. I see leaders that are listening to you know, what's happening on the IC level and why it is challenging as BIPOC people to be the ones that feel some of the weight of this sometimes. Why people in ERGs and employee resource groups are putting so much work and they don't get compensated for and LinkedIn coming in and saying, hey, we, we are going to compensate leaders in ERGs for this time and starting to see these new relationships to, to power, to creating equitable partnerships and mutually beneficial partnerships with one another. And so that's starting to happen where I think our transformation is really, it's now in this place of now, how does this impact our the designs in which we put out in the world? And how is that actually making meaningful change to members and to job seekers, especially from misrepresented and marginalized groups? So it's a, it's a journey, like I said, it's yeah. a, a really long journey. Yeah. So how can folks get in to the event tomorrow? Maybe give folks sort of details on the event and, and when they they can attend and also just highlight the folks that are on the panel. Yeah. So you can attend tomorrow at, I believe, 3 p.m. <laughs> That's when it's at. And yeah, it's going to be uh, moderated by one of our design program managers, Sarah uh, Mandridge. And we are going to be having a conversation with uh, Joanne Wu, who is a senior director on our consumer products, on our flagship products. And then Hannah Wolf, who is a principal user experience researcher on equity, as well as the future of work. And, uh, and then myself. And so please come if you're interested and curious about hearing about our own personal transformation, the transformation of the design organization at LinkedIn, as well as the vision and the futures we see ourselves moving towards. Yeah. And shout out to the whole LinkedIn crew. I know a few folks are tuning in. And then Julia, how can folks get in touch with you, you know, subscribe to to your design diary series? And when is the next uh, episode dropping? Oh my gosh. The next episode is dropping sometime next week, <laughs> if I'm on schedule. But definitely find me on Instagram and TikTok and even on LinkedIn if you search up A Design Woman. That's my handle. And also tune in because we actually have Annie Ruda from LinkedIn in our Students of UXD event on Saturday. So perfect kind of like, this is how community works. So yeah, definitely find me, Julia Fernandez. Amazing. So both of you all, thank you. This is an amazing conversation. Thanks, everybody. 